indeed. I'm going to use a microphone only because we're recording this for prosperity, the 400 and something people that weren't here. So Lord, we lift Martin to you as he speaks. Thank you for what he's prepared. Thank you for what you may add or subtract to that man. We pray you will lead him by your spirit. That we will listen and respond as you desire us to today. In Jesus' name. So we have whole ten verses to go at tonight. Um, ten verses that that kind of help us. We kind of need to put in context of um, the Old Testament regulations uh, in the context of the rest of the sweep of Hebrews. Uh, and if you've been here on previous weeks, you will kind of know what's happened already. Um, but um, if not, you don't necessarily know what's happening. Uh, so we've had a lot in Hebrews already in terms of thinking about the place of Jesus, Jesus becoming fully human, Jesus being greater than all sorts of things, Moses, angels. Um, uh, we've had a long conversation over a number of weeks around Melchizedek uh, and was uh, and Jesus is a, is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And um, I'm just realizing I'm standing rather too close to fallback speaker. I'm going to move forward a little bit. Um, and there's, a, there's an interesting question about Melchizedek as to whether or not actually Jesus, Melchizedek was Jesus, or Jesus was Melchizedek. Um, just on an early version of him, but uh, let's not stress ourselves on that one today. So then, um, last week we took our through, ourselves through Hebrews chapter eight uh, and looked a little bit more about Jesus as the high priest of a new covenant, of a new way of looking. Uh, and this week we're at chapter nine, where the writer to the Hebrews goes back a bit, as it were, and looks at the first covenant, the first tabernacle that was set up. Uh, and part of the uh, thinking for that is to recognize just how amazing it was and yet just how temporary it was. So, let me um, try to, let's try and think about that together. In the reading that we've had, the referencing is, in, is to the where it says first, it's really to the outer, the holy place, and second being the most holy place, rather than the, the, the temporal thinking of first, as in the tented tabernacle, and then second being a temple, a building. Um, it wasn't that way around that the, the writer was thinking about. The writer's thinking about the, the geographic outer space and then the inner space in terms of first and second. So what we have... Um, in that first covenant, which is about the one that's been, that's been part of the Old Testament, is that sense of the glory of God being contained or being God choosing to be present on earth, but in a very holy place, the most holy place. And within that holy place, we have uh, verse 
um, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, uh, the reality that there was some furniture in there that was helpful for helping them to think about. It's okay. As long as it's not God on the line, it's okay. Um, I mean, it could be. Um, so, so the verses two and three, um, uh, three and four. Sorry, give us that sense of just how amazing the most holy place was. So, you've got the golden altar of incense, the gold covered ark of the covenant, uh, the jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, the stone tablets of the covenant. Now, just just pause there a minute and just think about the history that that represents. You know, Moses and Aaron. Um, Aaron had a staff, um, this is different to Moses' staff, this is Aaron's staff that budded, um, and, you know, when you expect a walking stick to suddenly burst into leaf, it, it doesn't. Um, you've got the stone tablets of the covenant, that's, that's, that's the Ten Commandments that Moses got at the top of the mountain, second time around. Yes, he was the one that downloaded, um, I've forgotten the phrasing now, downloaded onto a tablet. Um, he was one of the first. He was the first. Um, and um, all of that was put into the Ark of the Covenant. So the jar of manna, you know, think, think about that for a minute. How is it that the Israelites managed to live for 40 years in the wilderness? Well, it was because they had manna day by day by day. And on Friday, it lasted for two days. Whereas any other day, it only lasted for one day. So in any sense, it wasn't just manner, it was two types of manner. It was weekday manner and it was weekend manner. Um, and so, you have all these reminders of the miraculous, amazing intervention of God in the lives of the people of Israel... And they're all in a box. The Ark of the Covenant. You know, the Ark of the Covenant itself has serious history, doesn't it? By the time you get to Jesus' time, they, were look, they could look back to the points where, the, um, for example, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant at one point. But, well, basically, they all died. They all had horrible skin diseases and stuff. And they suddenly went, hey, it's because we've got that, that God box. We'd better take it back. You know, and, and, and in moving it. So if, if there was a, there's a point where somebody stumbles and reaches out and touches it and he dies. This is somehow a very kind of physical um, representation of the exceedingly great holiness of God. And this is the thing that's in a little cave, no, curtained off area, inside a holy place and and only once a year does the high priest pitch up and go inside and even then he turns up with blood so we get a, a glimpse I think of the as it were the awesomeness of God not not to give it its American um, overuse but that sense of, of God is full of awe. That sense of that reminder that 
you know, there's bits in the Old Testament where it talks about, you know, nobody could see God and live. Where the utter otherness of God was so clear that nobody felt they had any rights of entry into the presence of God. And this is a design that we have is Holy Spirit inspired. Um, Verse 8, the Holy Spirit was showing by this um, and everybody is very clear that this is a design that God through his spirit um, declared this is how it should be. Now, interesting, that doesn't happen for, for Christian churches, um, but that's, we'll come to that why in a moment. Um, but it's a Holy Spirit-directed design, and there is a strong sense that the curtain between the holy place and the most holy place is the thing that makes it a different place. If the curtain is torn in two. Oh, where do we get that? You know, Matthew's gospel, that sense of the curtain, and, and it probably is this inner curtain, the curtain between the most holy place and the holy place, that's torn in two. The veil is, is torn, hence we can sing some of these songs about within the veil, although we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, all the while that the curtain is in place, it creates a barrier of separation between God... God's ministers, and then you've got the outer space where everybody else goes. And um, it, it points up the holiness, the otherness of God, but also it points out, I think, the grace of God in that it was possible for the high priest to turn up, okay, only once a year and only then with blood, But he did turn up. He did make it into the inner room. He did, um, verse 7, he offered um, blood which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. Interesting phrase, isn't it? It's not up there. It's on the previous screen. Um, That the people generally offered sacrifices for the things they realized they'd done wrong. So, you know, I've, I don't know, I've stolen my neighbor's donkey. I realize I've done wrong. I give it back and I go up to the temple and I say, God, I hold up my hands. I've got it wrong. I did it again. I stole the donkey. And yet, there's also that ceremony where the priest offers blood for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. The ones they hadn't even realised. Sometimes I get that because, you know, sometimes somebody rings me up or comes to talk to me and says, do you know what? Three months ago you really pissed me off. Oh, sorry, you really, you really, you really angered me. You really got under my skin, you you know. And I go, well, I'm really sorry. I haven't got a clue. I wasn't trying to. I'm really, you know, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. But it was in ignorance. In ignorance, I'd really upset somebody. Um, And I really hadn't intended to. I hadn't set out to. So, 
here's the high priest turning up in the inner room, the inner sanctuary, the, the most holy place, once a year, with blood. Now, how does blood cleanse you? If you ever cut your finger, you want to wash it off, don't you? You don't go spread it everywhere and go, I'm cleansed now. It's an interest, again, it's a a challenging concept to us uh, in in these days, that actually, how how does blood cleanse? But whatever, God had set up this system that it was possible that the blood of um, goats and bulls um, might somehow stand as suitable atonement for the sins of the people. The biggest problem was that if you like, it was temporary relief from sin. It wasn't, as it were, positional relief. Let me explain. If people are trying to be friends, they're friends and they fall out and they're friends and they fall out, if people are family, they can still be friends and follow, still be friends, but all the time they're family. And it doesn't change the fact that they're family. And the fact that, you know, they'll still probably get an invite for Christmas. Um, or, or whatever. But, but, but that, that sense that actually... The huge thing for us as Christians is that we are adopted into God's family. Which means that even when we sin sometimes, God still loves us. He still welcomes us into into his presence. And, And because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus in dying for us on the cross, in being fully God and yet fully human... Uh, in, in being human and therefore being able to stand in for us, in being God and yet therefore not being able to sin because he can't, he can't rebel against himself, that one sacrifice then covers all of our sins, past, present and future, intended and in ignorance, explicit and implicit, the sins of omission and the sins of commission, it covers all of that. Whereas the, the sacrificial system that there was, was, as it were, one for one. You bring your grain offering because of this, and you bring your, your lamb because of that, and you bring your turtle dove because of this. And, and if you forgot one, well, you were still at odds with God over something. But equally, if you went away and you sinned again, then you were at odds with God again. And you had to come back again and say Sorry. Now, there's a sense in which we still have to say sorry. We're called to be people who live to the glory of God. But it doesn't, every time we we mess up, it doesn't positionally change us. We are still part of God's royal household. We're still sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And, And for me, that sense of adoption into God's family is huge. And it's all possible because of Jesus. And that takes us a long way from our text. Um, so, for them, there was relief from sin, even if it was temporary. So notice that. There's grace 
in God saying, let us for now allow the blood of the goat or the blood of the, the, the dove or the, the grain offering to stand as if it were suitable as a sacrifice for sin, as an atonement for sin, sorry. Um, and And hence, the high priest is able to get into the inner room and out again without dying because he's at least tried to make himself um, ceremonially clean. He's sought forgiveness for all the sins he can think of. He's, he's entering on behalf of the, of the people and he's bringing the, the blood for the... Um, for the atonement of the sins that the people, including himself, had committed in ignorance. Uh, and in a sense, he's okay for a few minutes. But they, as it says in verse 9, they were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. And I think that's the key difference for us that we can stand in the presence of God with a clear conscience. Because we know that Jesus has died and taken on him the fullness of, our, of the consequences of our sins. And I think the point about there not being a similar earthly tabernacle now for Christians is that actually this was only an earthly copy of a heavenly thing. And so we now be, are, as it were, were, are by the Spirit of God welcomed into our, that heavenly tabernacle which is always there where we can enter the presence of the King of Kings. Not because we've travelled to Jerusalem and we've trained as priests and we've been picked as the high priest and we've done the once a year thing on a Thursday afternoon and we're now in the temple. We're now inside the Holy of Holies. But because Jesus has died for us and so we can talk to God, we can enter his presence with boldness, with a clear conscience. In other words, we can pray whenever we want to. And not just pray to somebody to pray for us, but we can pray. We can enter the presence of God because we claim, as it were, the blood covering of Jesus. And that is huge. And one of my struggles with Hebrews in terms of a sermon series is that I kind of really want to be preaching the back end of Hebrews 10 just now rather than Hebrews 9 because in a sense Hebrews I think is a bit of a sermon of its own and it brings its own conclusion and yet we'll look at that later on so for, let me just, just rather than tempt you with that let me give you the conclusions Hebrews 10.22 and onwards since we have 19 onwards since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way open for us through the curtain, because of the, curtain, the, the, the tearing of the curtain, that is his body, 
And there's a bit of work to be done about how the temple becomes the body of Jesus. But anyway, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, then, here's the conclusion, 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, so we don't have a guilty conscience, we have a clear conscience. Having our bodies washed with pure water. Second, let us, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. He promises faithful. 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another to one towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. And then at the end of chapter 10, we have the if we deliberately keep on sinning. Because actually, how can we possibly continue to sin? But that's a, that's a sermon for another week. Let's come back to chapter 9. We've had a reminder of the awesomeness of God, of the holiness of God, of the preparation that was needed to get into the presence of the Almighty. And that preparation process is bypassed for us because of the awesomeness of the, of the sacrifice of Jesus. God loves us as we are, but equally he loves us so much he doesn't want us to stay as we are. He wants us to grow in holiness, to grow in response to his love for us. That's why he tore the curtain. That's why we enter, as it were, within the veil, but actually, with it, therefore, into the presence of God. Because that's where God's children are entitled to be. And it's not arrogant. It's because of the grace of God that we're entitled to be in his presence, to come into his presence, to love him, to worship him, to adore him. When we turn up, God doesn't say, where have you been? He says, welcome. It's a delight that you're here. Whether it's been two seconds or two years or two decades, it doesn't matter. You're here. Welcome. So let's live our lives this week knowing that we're welcome in the courts of the King.